It's April 7th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First, some important U.S. economic numbers are set to be released this morning. The March jobs report is out in just a couple of hours. I'll tell you what to expect. Second, and speaking of jobs, if you are looking for one and above the age of 55 or so, employers want to speak to you. That's because you apparently have a stronger work ethic than younger workers. I'll explain. Third, we switch gears to international events with word that the U.S. Pentagon has lost control of top secret papers that spell out what is going to happen next in Ukraine, plus the strength of Kiev's military. I will share those details with you and, as always, why we should care. Finally, get out your passports this morning because we are heading to Africa. We're actually going to head to the country of Chad to talk about assassinations and Russians and how all of that could affect you here. Later, we close out the right report with an email request from a listener. He recently had his son who was diagnosed with autism. I'll share some hopeful medical news about managing the symptoms of that condition. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. In the next few hours, we will get a good sense of where the U.S. economy is probably heading. And that's because the March jobs report is coming out. That's a number generated by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics that tells us, well, amongst other things, how many workers were hired in a given month, plus the unemployment rate. Now, analysts expect to see a net gain of jobs for the month of March. 240,000 is the guess, with the unemployment rate expected to hold steady at 3.6%. Now, all of that said, there are some concerns that those estimates are a little bit too rosy. And that's because yesterday morning, the Labor Department announced that its previous numbers on unemployment applications, well, those were too low. They originally said that less than 200,000 people were newly looking for work, but actually there were uh, 228,000. Oops. We also saw data released on Wednesday this week showing that private payrolls were adding fewer workers than expected as of late, which could mean that whatever the numbers are in the next couple of hours might be worse than analysts expect. So all of this is leaving economists and, uh, well, us regular folks too, a little bit nervous about the state of the economy. Are we in a, uh, well, economic bust, maybe a little bit of a surprising boom, or some mix of both? depending on who and where you are in the U.S. Well, let's actually talk about that. So on one hand, things look not too bad. For people looking for work, there are plenty of jobs out there. In fact, the the low unemployment rate certainly tells us that. Plus, for those who are fired or downsized, a survey out about a month ago from the company ZipRecruiter showed that of those recently laid off, Over 75% quickly found jobs, and 80% of those actually got pay increases. And that's actually a little bit surprising. Typically, after a layoff, people tend to struggle to find new work, and often they're forced to take some new jobs at lower pay. Plus, as CBS News recently reported, severance packages are lasting about 
16 weeks in all, and that's longer than the median length of unemployment, which lasts about nine weeks. And yet, despite the low unemployment numbers and ease of getting a good-paying job, we have all sorts of flashing yellow and red economic lights that are signaling pretty serious trouble. So most of us know about that stubborn inflation rate, probably every time you go to the grocery store. Plus, household debt in this country is skyrocketing. Folks with credit cards, for instance, are sitting on almost $1 trillion worth of debt. That is according to the company TransUnion. And by the way, that debt is up 20% from last year. We're also seeing more folks miss their car payments. The Wall Street Journal relayed a few weeks ago that delinquency numbers for, well, especially the working class car owners, that now sits at 9.8% of borrowers. That is the highest since 2010. And of course, all that debt from credit cards to vehicles to housing too, that's all getting much more expensive because the Federal Reserve, of course, is raising interest rates. And those rising rates are playing havoc with not only folks like you and I, but also commercial entities like banks. You might remember that, well, from a few weeks ago when a couple failed. And speaking of commercial entities, some economists look at key stores in this country that sell consumer goods to get a gauge of overall economic health. Stores like Walmart for working class families or Costco for those who are typically of a little bit greater means. And it's that last company, the Costco, that's giving us another bad set of indicators this morning. Costco just reported that sales for the month of March gained only a very tiny 0.9%. That is the smallest since the pandemic lockdowns hit this country back in April of 2020. So all in all, there are certainly some economic storm clouds brewing, folks, if they're not already straight overhead. Might be a good time to tighten the finances for a while until we know if we are out of the woods or not. But regardless, I will keep you posted on those unemployment numbers out later this morning. Fingers crossed. But speaking of hiring and firing and looking for jobs, the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that there is one group of Americans who are very much in demand. And that is older folks. Yes, people aged 55 or over are suddenly very much in hot demand. So here's that story. One month ago, the journal conducted a survey of Americans and asked them about hard work, specifically whether they thought that such was a, an important personal value or not to hold. Well, older Americans said that, yes, it was about 75 percent of them, actually. However, younger workers, especially those aged 18 to 29, they didn't uh, quite feel as strongly. Only 60 percent said that hard work was important. And according to the journal, that helps explain the federal data that show that those age 55 or older are actually the fastest growing segment of the U.S. workforce. The gray hairs, they said, are back. And by the way, I say that with gray in my beard. Now, there are a few reasons for older Americans being pulled back into the workforce. Of course, people are living longer. Some have to work because of finances, especially with inflation these days. But it is also true, data show, that companies are specifically targeting older workers to come back, all because of that work ethic. They just, again, work harder. Now, as good as that might be for those of us with a little bit of gray in our hair or beards, there is one small issue. As older folks rejoin the ranks, 
they're pushing out some of those younger folks. And that has led to an increase in younger workers complaining to HR managers that they're being unfairly passed over for their age, for being lazy or flaky. That is according to the Society for Human Resource Management. That's the world's largest association for HR professionals. So the chief executive for that group, a fellow named Johnny Taylor, says that complaints from younger workers are increasingly common, all for those reasons I just mentioned. But those complaints are falling on deaf ears in some cases, especially with management. So here's what he said, quote, quote, with the economy slowing down, companies need fewer people and need their workers to be okay with working hard. So instead of trying to convince younger generations to be, well, something different, some companies are saying, why don't we just go hire people who are naturally predisposed to work harder, end quote. Well, there you have it. Hard work still matters, no matter if you have a little bit of gray in your hair or not. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes. I want to give you all a few weeks without interruption. So stretch those legs, sip on that cup of coffee or juice, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report, folks. Let's continue our news this morning, switching gears from domestic affairs to events from around the world. And we start with some secrets coming out of the U.S. Pentagon regarding the war in Ukraine. Now, there has been apparently a leak of top-secret documents, and those documents suggest two things. First, Ukrainian forces are set to launch a spring offensive against the Russians just weeks from now. But second, Ukraine's forces are not as strong as perhaps we might have been led to believe. Now, before we dive into this latest news, let's refresh our memories as to why we ought to care about this war in Ukraine. And let's focus on three things. First, and perhaps most importantly to many of us, it's hitting our pocketbooks. Data show that, for example, we are paying far more money for oil and most especially natural gas products because of this war. And that's because we are exporting so much of our energy supply to Europe that it's creating tight supplies here at home. Which takes us to reason number two to care. A lot of U.S. jobs are dependent on our factories and farms selling goods and services to European buyers. But they've been squeezed by those same high energy prices because of their, well, the normal spigot of Russian oil and gas has been all but shut off. And that means the trade between our respective countries, trade that employs maybe your friends and family, well, that has been either cut off or definitely strained. And then finally, there's the, uh, you know, whole risk of nuclear war with Russia thing. <laughs> and that's because this war, folks, is no longer between Moscow and Kiev. The U.S. has committed over 100 billion of your taxpayer dollars and a virtually endless supply of U.S. war material, which, by the way, has left our military very lean on some very key weapon systems. But at any rate, Russia, of course, has taken notice of our involvement, obviously. And its president, Vladimir Putin, has made clear that he now sees this fight in Ukraine as a much larger one between him and the United States. Which means, ladies and gentlemen, that the longer that this war goes on, well, the greater the chances of direct conflict between our two countries, both of which have nuclear weapons that nobody wants to see flying through the sky. 
All right, with those three reminders of why we ought to care about the war in Ukraine, let's talk about these secret documents that are leaking out of the U.S. Pentagon this morning. Well, actually, earlier this week, it was a series of very unusual documents that started drip by drip showing up on social media platforms, specifically Twitter and Telegram. The documents were stamped top secret, and they apparently represented the views of officials at the Pentagon regarding the war in Ukraine. Specifically, the documents were entitled Status of the Conflict as of 01 March. The papers then spelled out American and NATO plans for building up the Ukrainian military ahead of a planned offensive against Russia in just the next couple of weeks. The documents also gave details about the number of Ukrainian troops who've been trained, on what equipment, how much weaponry they have available, and the readiness of soldiers to fight amongst bunch of other details. Now, all of that would be quite helpful to Russia, but only if the documents were real. But were they? Are they? Well, according to reports from the New York Times and my own sources, the answer is yes. Mostly, those documents, in fact, folks, are real. Now, it appears that some things have been modified. For instance, the number of soldiers on both sides killed in action, that actually appears incorrect. But generally speaking, the documents are real. And that is a problem for the Biden administration, of course, and taxpayers like you and I. Someone is leaking the war plans, folks, plans that we have invested in upwards of $100 billion. Well, according to the Times, the Pentagon is, as you would imagine, investigating this matter. Counterintelligence teams are involved, too given the very obvious fear of a possible spy within the U.S. government trying to help Russia. One other very important thing to note here, these secret documents suggest that Ukraine's forces have been seriously degraded over the past year of fighting. In fact, that matches recent press reporting, too. The Washington Post noted just a couple of weeks ago that many of Kiev's best fighters have been killed or wounded. Over 120,000 is the best guess. In fact, the Post interviewed one battalion commander who said that virtually every one of his men had either been killed or wounded, requiring 100% of his troops to be replaced with new soldiers, which he said, unfortunately, were so undertrained that they fled at the very first sound of gunfire. Moreover, Ukraine also has an artillery problem, at least according to these documents and recent press. In fact, the Secretary General of NATO has publicly confirmed that Ukraine is firing artillery at a faster rate than what can be produced by its allies in Europe and the United States. Now, to be clear, Russia has been deeply wounded and bloodied too. Estimates for their losses range anywhere from 150,000 men to 200,000 dead soldiers. That includes some of their best trained and most experienced fighters. But Moscow, we should note, has a much larger military than Ukraine and triple the population of men to pull from back home in terms of conscripts. The point, folks, is that Ukraine's ability to keep fighting and winning is in serious doubt this morning. And that is news that oftentimes we're not hearing because, well, let me actually tell you what happened to that uh, that Ukrainian battalion commander that I just mentioned the one who lost 100% of his men. The day after he gave that interview to the Post, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his defense minister ordered that man demoted and sent away to a training facility. To which 
to which the battalion commander gave another interview about and said, quote, do you know what the problem is with our most senior commanders and leaders? They have a very narrow circle of conversations, which does not deliver any bad news to them. They filter out the bad news, end quote. For my veterans out there, I suspect that sounds pretty familiar to you, doesn't it? Anyway, I bring this to you folks because over the next couple of months, I suspect that we are going to be talking more and more about the war in Ukraine. Because despite the massive investment by Western governments, which is to say you, the taxpayer, this conflict at this point is jump ball, if I could borrow a basketball phrase. And by the way, that's not my opinion. At a recent U.S. congressional hearing, Pentagon Policy Chief Colin Kale was asked how much more aid Ukraine might need. And he replied with this, quote, we don't know the course or trajectory of this conflict. It could end six months from now. It could end in two years from now, three years from now. We don't know, end quote. Well, there you have it, an endless war. But no matter what, I will keep you up to date every step of the way. Finally, this morning, get out those maps and passports because we are going to Africa. And today we are going to be going to the country of Chad, where a Russian mercenary organization called the Wagner Group is almost certainly trying to assassinate a president. Now, before we get into the intrigue of this story, let's talk about the country of Chad for a second. So looking at our maps, either on our phones or computers or in our minds, you'll find the country of Chad almost dead smack in the middle of northern Africa. It's often called the Sahel region. It's a landlocked country, and it's bordered by Libya to the north, Sudan to the east, Niger to the west, and the Central African Republic to the south. Now, like a lot of other countries in that area, it's got a wonderful history, a crossroads of civilizations that have left its people with a rich history. And actually, a part of that legacy is that it's split pretty evenly between Christianity and Islam. Now, the French took over that country as a colonial territory around the early 1900s and capitalized on its beautiful climate and its soil for cotton, which remained its main cash crop until oil was discovered around the year 2000. And after that, oil has dominated as its main export, purchased mostly by European oil companies, which is pretty important, as you will see in just a second. Well, unfortunately, Chad has been a wreck of a country politically for, well, a long time, partly because of tribal politics, but also because France and other colonial powers messed around with the internal politics of that nation and left it in pretty rough shape. Regardless, Chad's current leader, a man named Mohamed Idris Debi, came to power in the year 2021 after his father, who well, was a dictator for about three decades, was killed in battle with rebels. So that is the background of Chad that you need to know. And that takes us to the intrigue coming out of the capital city of N'Djamena over the past few months. So back in January, rumors started floating around in the regional press that Russia was in talks with the rebels to help kill President Deby, just like they did his father. And by the Russians, I mean not the government necessarily, but their mercenary organization called the Wagner Group. Now, these guys are basically guns for hire. Right? They're former Russian military men who 
after their service is over, get hired by this company, who in turn sends them all around the world to fight for, well, whoever pays the most. But Wagner and its CEO, a guy with the last name of Prigozhin, has a very close relationship with Russian leaders, to include President Vladimir Putin. To the point, there's actually credible evidence that Wagner and Prigozhin represent an unofficial fighting force for Moscow when Putin doesn't want to be officially linked to any dirty work that he wants done abroad. And that's why the Wagner Group started popping up in Chad a number of months ago. At least that was the allegation as of last January. Rumors got so pervasive that Moscow officially denied the allegations and insisted that President Debbie planned to attend a Russia-Africa summit in Moscow hosted by Mr. Putin this summer. Well, then a couple weeks went by, and then in mid-February, the Americans showed up in Chad. Yeah, my old friends at the CIA and Pentagon presented declassified intelligence to President Debbie that, in fact, the Wagner Group planned to assassinate him along with his chief of staff and other key allies. This was reported, by the way, by the Wall Street Journal and confirmed by sources of my own. But the question is, why would the Russians want to schwack this president? What would the Chadian, as it were, rebels give the Russians? Well, a couple things, actually. First, let me put this very complex situation into somewhat simple terms. The rebels hate President Debbie because they think that he is a dictator just like his dad. And... Well, they have a point. But also, the rebels hate him because he likes the French. And the French are hated by many in Chad because of that colonial history. Well, guess who also hates the French these days besides those Chad rebels? Yeah, Russia, because of that war in Ukraine. And so the Wagner group, at the behest of Putin, almost certainly, is uh, getting close to those Chad rebels, saying, let's make a deal. And the deal is this. We will help you kill the president. And then we get to punch the French in the face by doing so because you're going to be the new leaders and you hate France too. Plus, the Wagner Group, they are going to get some mining concessions. Chad is rich in gold and uranium. And that is likely how Wagner is going to get paid. But there's also that oil. Remember, Europe used to buy Russian oil, but no longer. So they have spent the last year scrambling for oil around the world and natural gas sources, including from the country of Chad. But if the rebels take control, well, maybe Chad sells that oil to somebody else. And if that were to happen, well, you, my fellow Americans, might just be impacted because, once again... Europe has been scrambling for oil and diesel and natural gas for over a year, and that has meant buying our supply here in America and in places like Chad. But if they lose the supply coming out of Chad, well, that means more competition for oil globally plus tighter supply. And eventually, people like you and I are going to end up paying a few more cents at the pump. So that is why you should care about the shenanigans going on in Chad this morning. It's a landlocked country halfway around the world, but guess what? It impacts us here at home, too. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we put down our passports and we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. 
But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will probably be ad-free for now. And we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Yesterday, I got an email from a listener who asked me for a favor. His son was recently diagnosed with autism, and he recalled that when I hosted another podcast, I would often speak about news for those of us who have autistic family members or loved ones or dear friends with autistic children. And he recalled that I mentioned a very hopeful piece of news for the management of autism and wanted to know what it was. So to Jim, who is somewhere in America this morning, here is that medical development. Researchers in Norway reported in the journal Frontiers in Pharmacology about six months ago that the drug loperamide might be safe and effective for the treating of core symptoms of autism, namely difficulties in communicating or interacting socially. Now, loperamide has another name. It's the active ingredient in emodium, which is used, of course, to treat diarrhea. Now, I won't bore you with the details of how this medicine is believed to be effective in the management of autism, but briefly, it involves binding to and activating a protein or receptor that affects social behavior. Now, what's remarkable about this belief in this medicine is that the possibility of it was discovered not in a lab, but using artificial intelligence. In short, a computer's AI system used by the researchers analyzed a massive gene and drug database, all in hopes of predicting how the genes of 207 people with autism would interact with over 10,000 pre-existing drugs. So the hope was that by cross-referencing this information, doctors might be able to quickly repurpose any drugs that are already studied and had a strong safety profile. And through that investigation and the glory of fancy computers and AI, they discovered that loperamide was one of the four available drugs showing the most promise. Now, I should be clear that there is a lot of research left to do on this, but this drug and this research have gotten a lot of interest over the past six months. So to Jim and others who deal with the challenges and joys of having a child with autism, please do speak with your doctors about this. And maybe celebrate that uh, a condition that leaves folks feeling helpless sometimes. Well, maybe in this case, you have a reason to hope. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday morning, God willing. Until then, happy Easter. And let me leave you with the words that inspire me. They're the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.